September 10th, 2020. This is the Hermetic Hour. I'm your host, Folk Runyon. And tonight we present an essay on freedom, human imagination, and hermetic philosophy. We will discuss the nature of God in the hermetic corpus and the concept that all humans are gifted with speech literacy, but only those who answer the call have the mind. This is a form of spiritual elitism more exclusive than Christian salvation, but more reflective of human nature. We will trace the history of hermetic study and practice in the Western world, its influence on Freemasonry and Western culture. We will examine its distortions, which have given rise to the evils of the Illuminati and communism. So, tune in and discover how to empower your dreams. Now, I am constrained by present circumstances to keep this essay philosophical and spiritual in theme and in detail. Under these same restrictive circumstances, freedom of speech may also be defined as freedom of outreach. The right of free expression is meaningless if the exponent is only allowed to deliver his message to those who agree with him and through a restricted media outlet more obscure than the back pages of a newspaper. Now, with this in mind, I will try to avoid obvious current political analogies in supporting my arguments. And I ask unsympathetic listeners to forgive me if I only reply on historical and in some cases only rely on historical and in some cases recent historical analogies that may seem blasphemous to a devout, rational, humanist, progressive. We should begin by explaining our title and expounding on its implications. Freedom, Human Imagination, and Hermetic Philosophy. Hermetic philosophy arose in the early centuries of the Common Era as a classic pagan alternative to Christianity. And it resurged in the Renaissance to bring back the pagan wisdom to a Christian world. Like Christianity, it offered salvation and eternal life, but not to all men. The hermetic gnosis was offered only to those who knew and recognized the Holy Spirit within themselves. And But let us quote directly from Dr. Everard's translation of 1650. Come on made this universal world, not with his hands, but with his word. Therefore, thus think of him as present everywhere, and being always, and making all things, and one above, that is, by his will, hath framed these things that are. For that is his body, not tangible, not visible, not measurable, not extensible, nor like any other body. For it is neither fire, nor water, nor air, nor wind, but all these things are of him. For being God, 
he hath dictated that name unto himself alone. But he would also adorn the earth, but with the ornament of a divine body. And so he sent man, an immortal, and a mortal creature. And man had more than all the living creatures of the world because of the speech and the mind. For man became the spectator of the works of God and wondered and acknowledged the maker. For he divided speech among all men but not mind. And yet he envied not, for envy comes not thither, but abodes here below in the souls of men who have not the mind. Now this passage from the commander of Hermes confirms the widely acknowledged Hermetic influence on Freemasonry. The workman being the great architect of the universe in Masonic terms. But it also reveals the essential difference between Hermetic Gnostic elitism and Christian egalitarian salvation. Hermes conceded that all men were ensouled, but argued that without mind they were unaware of their divinity, and thus were mere mortals. Those who knew they had the mind, in effect the creative imagination, acknowledged the works of God and participated in the ongoing process of creation. They were the immortals. This hermetic elitism was not always positive in effect. It had a good influence on masonry, but eventually gave rise to the universally blasphemous concept, there is no God but man that characterized the Illuminati and eventually helped the rational humanists and the Marxists to put an end to God entirely. And we must admit that some of the intellectuals who accomplished this deicide had both the speech and the mind. So we are not trying to say that Hermetic philosophy or its proponents are always on the side of the angels. But if properly exercised and administered, as in the creation of the American Republic, Hermeticism is a force for good and for the benefit of all men. It is the mystical, spiritual, and political tradition of Western culture. It must be protected and preserved, and that is where freedom enters the picture. Those envious no-minders that Hermes excludes from his Gnosis have been mobilized by rebellious academic intellectual adepts we will call uh, the left-hand path, adepts of the left-hand path, who have promised them all the treasures of the mind and the imagination that they have neither earned nor deserved. And having killed off God for both Hermes and Jesus, they have co-opted the egalitarian charity of Christianity into their rational humanist socialist agenda and promised the mob of envious no-minders an endless rampage of rape and pillage, neglecting to tell the poor young fools that when the stolen goods and money run out, they themselves will be enslaved in an Orwellian dystopia. So how did this all come about? Well, let's look at history, recalling that our left-hand path adepts 
have been rewriting it for the past 200 years, like Winston Smith and Orwell's 1984. Remember, Winston's job at the Ministry of Truth was rewriting history every day. And since the turn of the 19th century, the Winston Smiths of the Western world have been working overtime, and computer science makes their task much easier. There is no verifiable truth in a digitized archive. In less than a generation, fake news becomes history. Can we believe anything we see and hear on television? Not only have they been intent on rewriting current history from 5000 B.C. to the present, but they have endeavored to suppress and manipulate archaeological evidence of any civilization predating ancient Sumer until the evidence became overwhelming. Now they simply ignore it. This myopic approach to prehistory was the result of the Marxist dogma that human cultures evolved from the simple to the complex. This came from their application of Darwin's evolution to human history, what they called social Darwinism. On the dehumanizing concept that we are all animals, they applied Freud's psychology to sociology. And more recently, they have applied von Bertalanffy's general system theory to planetary ecology and blamed climate change on human capitalist industry so they can destroy successful industrial economies. What does all this have to do with freedom, human imagination, and hermetic philosophy? Well, it has everything to do with it because hermetic philosophy essentially declares that the human imagination is an office of God. Man observes and participates in creation. Knowing this, the dark brothers of the left-hand path are determined to control human imagination. To do so, they must suppress not only freedom of speech, but also freedom of thought. To control human thought, they must control the education of children and children's reading material and television programming. To give a shocking example of this, we go back to the 1950s when agents of the NEA raided children's libraries, confiscated and burned copies of the Oz books, Grimm's and Anderson's fairy tales, Edgar Rice Burroughs, Tarzan and John Carter books, citing Alfred Adler's opinion that they did not prepare young people for reality. This suppression of romantic literature and folklore continued until J.R.R. Tolkien and Ray Harryhausen emerged in the 1960s. Realizing that they could, not, could no longer suppress romantic, heroic fantasy, the left-handers decided to control it by turning Conan into a cult deprogrammer and superseding Hercules with a lesbian warrior princess. If they could not eliminate Western heroic archetypes, they would at least make them socially relevant and morally decadent. Without freedom and freedom of expression, God is essentially dead. Of course, that's exactly what the rational humanists would like us to believe. So, having killed off God and disempowered the major religions, they needed new deities, science and the state. Technocracy was the new theocracy. Giving examples, we can say with certainty 
that since the so-called Enlightenment in the late 17th century, neither science nor government have deserved reverence. In fact, they have created and, ex- and, and exacerbated the problems that they had promised to alleviate. Electricity was their gift, but then they gave us the atomic bomb and turned it into a poisonous energy source to generate that electricity. Their utopian information age has resulted in an ongoing nightmare of lost jobs, failed industries, poorly educated children, and a disinformed and propagandized citizenry. The specter of artificial intelligence looms over us all like a Frankenstein's monster, worse than the atomic bomb. The evil mad scientist is no longer a creature of fiction. He speaks to us on the evening television news. A technocratic Rasputin hypnotizing us into fearing evils that only his science and his technocratic government can protect us from. As a current example, we can cite a medical technocrat who lectures the public on protective measures against a virus which he himself has registered with the U.S. Patent Office. Where and when did this all get started? Who is to blame? Well, let's start with Plato. He outlined the totalitarian state and called it a republic. As you may recall, Plato Plato was enamored of Sparta, and 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 that's where we get our our the military aspect of the totalitarian state comes from from the way Sparta raised their children and and and, and their military. Then came Jesus Christ, who outlined a program of social altruism, making individuals responsible for the welfare of others. Then came the Roman Church. Consorting with the aristocratic ruling class, they weaponized Christian altruism to make themselves rich and powerful at the expense of the people. In order to maintain this social and economic tyranny, they, the church and the state, had to maintain an intellectual control of philosophy and technology. And as soon as the Renaissance awakening got underway, the church tried to discredit hermetic philosophy as post-Christian and therefore invalid. This did not succeed, and hermetic alchemical experimentation began to evolve into what would become the scientific method. The hermetic philosopher responsible for underwriting this transition was René Descartes. He declared that only that which could be measured, weighed, and recorded was real. And only those experiments that could be replicated were valid. All else was illusion or fraud. Actually, this is a rerun of one of the earliest Hermetic philosophers, Parmenides, 500 B.C., who established the logical reasoning process with the postulate that only individual perception determines reality. However, in Parmenides' case, this perception included the gods. Even if we may find Descartes' declaration commendable in a logical sense, we cannot excuse the collateral damage it caused in the spiritual dimension. It was a nail. In God's coffin lid. 
spiritual and visionary perceptions were not included in Descartes' realities. Well, this paved the way to what was called the Enlightenment. And in the early days of the 18th century, and the Enlightenment gave rise to Freemasonry, which was a hermetic attempt to transcend the chaos of religious and political conflicts which raged in England and Europe. True to its hermetic roots, Freemasons were men of imagination, creative builders, inventors, and entrepreneurs, God-fearing men who yearned to be free from the rule of of a decadent aristocracy and its degenerate church. Freemasonry was the heart and soul of the emerging democratic movement, and the American Republic was its masterpiece achievement. This political and spiritual miracle was made possible by the American people themselves. They were all refugees from the decadent regimes of the old world. They had come to the new world to be free, and they created a nation to protect and preserve their liberty. The French Revolution of 1887 and its aftermath was an entirely different matter. The French ruling class and the Roman Church deserved the French Revolution. The French people did not deserve it. The European people did not deserve its repercussions, which culminated in the horror of the Bolshevik Revolution of 1917. These awful events were brought about by the failure of the ruling classes and the churches in Europe and Russia to honor the social contract of Christianity had imposed upon them. Ever since the Dark Ages, the aristocracy and the church had owned the land and had literally enslaved the people in feudal serfdom. The small commercial and artisan class was also under their control. Up to the beginnings of the Industrial Revolution, the church and the nobility ruled Europe and shared their power and wealth reluctantly. The American Revolution rejected royalty and a state church, but being Masonic, affirmed allegiance to God as a general principle. Now that God was dead in Europe, the continental revolutionaries could offer the people an even more lucrative social contract. Why wait for reward in paradise? We'll give you paradise here on earth. But what they delivered was anything but. However, the American Declaration of Independence contained a well-intended socially charitable statement borrowed from the European radicals which would grow like a cancer in the metabolism of our republic. That statement was, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. This sentence contradicts itself because it is abundantly self-evident that all men are not created equal. And this conundrum underlies the political meaning of equality the proper and valid implication being that in a free society, heredity does not establish the ruling class. The originator of this concept was a French philosopher, Claude Adrien Helvetius, 1715-1771, who declared that all humans are born equal and conditioned differently by their environment. The church ordered his book burned as a danger to religion, throne, and family. Nonetheless, his environmentalism was, and still is, widely accepted as a physical reality, in spite of massive evidence to the contrary. However, it did provide the behavioral behavioral psychologist B.F. Skinner 
with a methodology that enabled him to develop brainwashing and mind control. We should recall that human equality is not a hermetic principle. According to Hermes, there are those who have the speech but not the mind. Only those who have both the speech and the mind are chosen to receive the Gnosis. Hermetic elitism has nothing to do with race, heredity, or gender. It is a measure of spirit, talent, and character. It follows that those who have the speech and the mind, those with the God-given human creative imagination, are the natural leaders and entitled to the fruits of their labors and the status of their positions in society. Their concession to serving under God should constrain them from exploiting and suppressing those who have only the speech, but not the mind. Thus, if all people are given equal consideration in society, a citizen can attain to his full potential, whether he has the mind or not. This is the principle our republic was founded on. The right to the pursuit of happiness is not a guarantee to happiness, and the land of opportunity is not paradise unearned. For these reasons, we should always be a nation under God with liberty and justice for all. Unfortunately, our noble sociopolitical experiment provided a platform for a new form of social and economic elitism arising as the nation evolved from a rural agricultural economy into urban industrialism, capitalism. Weapons of industry and the bankers who financed them became the dukes and barons of a new nobility, with factory workers and office clerks as their serfs. Before the American Civil War, mill workers in northern cities lived and labored in were under worse conditions than plantation slaves in the rural south. In England, air pollution from factories killed millions with tuberculosis. After the war, the labor union movement rose in the United States, and antitrust legislation solved many of capitalism's problems. Socialism emerged in England. While on the European continent, a dark and evil version of socialism had caught the wave of popular revolt against the industrial and financial plutocrats, communism. Rising like a grim phantom spawned in the bloodstained wreckage of the French Revolution and revived by the bleeding wounds of World War I, it was fueled by hate and lust for power. Its leaders were criminals taking advantage of the distressed people to impose a worse yoke of suffering on them. The horrors of the Bolshevik Revolution and the Russian Civil War were soon forgotten in the thunderstorm of World War II. And so, there are young people today who see these monsters of the early 20th century in an almost romantic light. And they are led and encouraged by older mentors who should know better, but prefer the darkness to the light. Those academics and intellectuals I have metaphorically referred to as left-hand path adepts 
have succeeded in romanticizing Bolshevism to a generation of young people whom they have conspired to virtually enslave with outrageous student loans and meaningless education. Students have no future, and so they listen to the siren song of a socialist utopia and vent their frustrations in rioting and protest, serving that impossible dream. For the plain fact is that socialism is a parasite on capitalism, and when the host has been bled dry, the parasite must find another or it also dies. And this has been proven over and over again in the last 200 years. Human participation with God in the acts of creation is an essential tenet of hermetic philosophy. It is based on the concept that man is a smaller replica of God himself, created in God's image and endowed with God's powers. God is the entire universe, which in the early days was only the solar system encircled by the zodiac. And this divine macrocosm is replicated in the human microcosm. Man's imagination is his creative engine. He conceives a thing he needs, a tool, a boat, a piece of furniture, a building. He designs it, and he builds it. This is the hermetic process that gave rise to Freemasonry. And this is why the master craftsman shares divinity with God. It is why the master of a Masonic lodge is referred to as a worshipful brother. And it is why no atheist may ever become a Mason. Because even though Masons believe that they are doing God's work, they also believe that the great architect of the universe is their foreman and their supervisor. Masonry has on occasion been tainted by the dark side of Hermeticism, especially on the continent. In the 1700s, they were infiltrated and exploited by the Bavarian Illuminati. For the most part, George Washington kept the Illuminati out of America, except for the all-men-are-created-equal passage that Jefferson included in the Declaration of Independence. Although in Jefferson's defense, he made it strictly political by the preface, we hold these truths to be self-evident. Returning to the question of elitism, hermetic or Masonic, we must ask ourselves, are the no-minders or the atheists we exclude from our circle actually unworthy, and if so, what gives us the right to declare them so? The answer is freedom of association. Freedom of association is guaranteed by the Constitution, and yet it is constantly attacked and subverted by the left-handers and the no-minders, especially those in state and federal bureaucracy. At this time, one cannot incorporate a church or a fraternal organization in California without agreeing to accept members of all races, ethnicities, and even religions as members. A few years ago, the Boy Scouts of America were forced to employ homosexuals as scoutmasters. Now they are being attacked by the same critics for concealing pedophiles. Without freedom of association, we cannot band together to protect our other freedoms. The left-handers know this, and they are determined to cancel all freedoms. Remember George Orwell's slogan in 1984, freedom is slavery, ignorance is strength, war is peace. 
And remember B.F. Skinner, the father of brainwashing, in his book, Beyond Freedom and Dignity. Our answer to Dr. Skinner and the rest of the left-hand path is simply this. There is nothing beyond freedom and dignity. And in the words of Thomas Paine, give me liberty or give me death. Well, uh, that's a bit of a sermon, but uh, but I I felt we needed to deliver it, and and uh, and I would like to add one one thing to it um, regarding the uh, the idea of the no mind, uh, the no, uh, those without the mind. Um, one of the things that uh, the Fabian socialists uh, believed and is still practiced in this country is the idea that that anybody, regardless regardless of how poor they may be or at all, can uh, the, the child can be educated and 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 can and through education uh, he can attain anything. You know he can uh, well. To, to to some extent, this is true because uh, we we learned over and over again that that uh, uh, that uh, that poverty poverty doesn't 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 determine intelligence. Uh, that, you know, you you could you could have kids born born under under very poor circumstances who who can uh, end up becoming <laughs> becoming captains of industry and presidents of the United States, whatever they 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 so. This, this whole hermetic division of those, uh, you know, those with the, without the speech uh, and the mind has nothing to do with with, uh, with, with poverty. It has nothing to do with, uh, with race. It has nothing to do with, um, with, with the ethnicity or anything like that, or gender, whatever. Uh, and, and that 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 should be very clear. And I want to make that very clear that this, that that that. This 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 applies to everyone, regardless of their their economic status, and and uh, however, I want to point out I I, I pointed out uh, you know uh, several authorities in the course of the lecture. I referred to you know the Skinner and Orwell and 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 uh, um, Rene Descartes and and Helvetius, these various people. But there's one person that. Uh, there's one authority that that, that I didn't mention, and, and I should mention in, in the course of this um, uh, the business of the no mind, the mind, uh, the speech in the mind. Yeah, I mentioned when I mentioned speech, I also said speech means also literacy. And H.G. Wells, who was quite a Fabian, uh, had came up with this idea that we could that through education we could we could take. We could eliminate poverty because we could educate everyone. Every everyone could be educated, uh, you know, to to their to their attain their highest potential. Uh, and he believed that, regardless of whether they, you know, whether they had the uh, the innate capacity or, or not. But which, of course. You know, following Helvetius's idea that all men are created equal uh, is is accepted by you know by the, by the socialists today, and 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 uh, and yet during the Spanish Civil War, there was a Spanish 
a Spanish uh, uh, academic and intellectual, uh, Ortega de Gasset, who was a he was he was a communist and but then the short Orwell was but he was also a Platonist he he was studied Plato and and de Gasset wrote a book published a book which is still available and I really encourage those of you who are interested to get it called Revolt of the Masses and in this book he proposed that just because people were literate, this did not make necessarily mean that they that they would be more intelligent or that they would be better citizens or that they uh, they were more perceptive and, and, and better you know, and, and more intelligent voters. And what he what he he established in this book is that literacy does not that does not increase intelligence. It does not, uh, and and uh, uh, and in other words, if you if you make if you make a if you make a a, a person literate, uh, you you make him more susceptible uh, to propaganda, and and, uh, and and not necessarily more intelligent or more perceptive. And this book caused quite a sensation because it, uh, you know, it it. Yeah, it, it, it went it went against uh, these 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 liberal uh, tenets, and so I, I want to, and I you know as a sort of a footnote to this lecture, I I want to want to mention that that Ortega de Gasset's Revolt of the Masses, 1939, is is a, a book you should definitely look into, along with 1984 and and uh, and uh, and so that with that. With that footnote uh, established, um, that's about uh, that about wraps it up, and uh, and uh, so we'll see you see you next week, and uh, we'll we'll have uh, more more hermetic wisdom uh, to offer, and uh, until then, good magic.